Merry Christmas. It's good to see all of you. It's a joy to gather on this afternoon and celebrate Jesus. And this is a family uh, Christmas Eve service. I just want to take a moment and say, if you have young children and they're making noise in this room, that's okay. Amen? And those are wonderful noises. Uh, this is for your family. And so uh, uh, if your little ones are making uh, uh, the noises that little ones make, that's a sign of life in this room. And that's something we celebrate. So I want to say just a word to the mamas here. Uh, don't sweat it at all. Don't worry about it. We're glad to have you and your children uh, in, the room, uh, in the room this afternoon. The most important question that you can ask or answer is who is Jesus Christ? We sing a Christmas song about that. What child is this? It's a question of Jesus's identity. Who is Jesus? And why do we celebrate him at this time of year? Well, there are answers to that question all around us, of course. Many movies at this time of year and TV shows uh, contain portrayals of Jesus's identity, whether it's uh, The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson or uh, The Da Vinci Code with Tom Hanks or The Simpsons or Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. Prominent figures ranging from Gandhi to Oprah all have opinions about who Jesus was. And many people say he was just an important historical figure. Some people say that he was a moral example. Others say that he was a profound teacher or maybe a prophet uh, for justice and societal good. Well, the Bible has a different answer for us. And I want to just talk about that for a few moments from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You know, John Owen, the Puritan, once said that it is the soul's estimate of Christ as a person that is the crucial test to discover how a person stands before God. That, that means it is what you think about Jesus that is the most important thing about you and actually determines your relationship with God. So who is Jesus to you? Well, I want you to consider what Philippians chapter 2 has to say, three big claims that the Bible makes about who Jesus is. Let me read God's Word for us. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 5, it says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of, say it with me, Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible makes three big claims about Jesus's identity in this paragraph. The first claim that Paul makes right here in Philippians chapter two is simply this, that Jesus is equal with God. If you're asking who Jesus is, and again, if you turn in our culture, you will find all kinds of answers. The predominant answer in our culture as to who Jesus is, is that he is a man just human, maybe an impressive man, maybe a moral man, maybe a great man, but mere man. In fact, 
today in the New York Times, in the opinion section, Nicholas Kristof wrote this line. He said, I'm full of admiration for his teaching, Jesus' teaching, but I have trouble swallowing his miracles. Now, see, Kristof right there has a, a very popular common view out there that Jesus is to be admired as long as he's not worshiped that you can respect Jesus as a great man or a moral man, something like that, but don't worship Him as Lord. But the Bible makes an entirely different claim. The Bible says that Jesus is no one less than God Himself. That is, He is fully human and fully God at the same time, not half human, half God, fully God, fully man. That's what theologians call the hypostatic union. It means that in Christ there is a union of God as God and man as man. And that's who Christians believe Jesus to be, nothing short of God himself. Listen, if Jesus was just a good teacher or a moral example, he's not worth your time. If Jesus is just an admirable person in history, then why are you here this afternoon? This is a waste of your time. We believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is God Himself, equal in glory, in power, in substance, in position, that Jesus is God. He is equal with God. You say, Pastor, why does that matter? Well, let me just give you a couple, three implications of that statement. If it's true that He is fully man and fully God, then if, if you want to know what God is like, you can look at Jesus to know what God is like. You say, what's the nature of the Christian God? Is he judgmental? Is he angry? Is he distant? I would say, look at Jesus. And as you look at Jesus's life, it'll tell you something about the nature and character of God because Jesus himself is God. Hebrews chapter one and verse three says that the son of God is the exact expression of God's nature. That means if you wanna see what God is like, Look at what Jesus is like. And when you look at Jesus, you see something of God's heart. You see someone who's full of compassion. You see someone who's humble. You see someone who always is looking out for the poor and the marginalized, the, the downcast. That's what God is like. Another implication, if Jesus is fully God and fully man, then he can represent God as God to man and man as man to God. In other words, because he's God, he can represent God to man. Because he's man, he can represent man to God. The Bible uses a word to describe this. It's the word mediator or advocate. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, the man Jesus Christ. What that means is we have a mediator, a go-between. You don't need any human pastor or priest to go between you and God. You have Jesus, the God-man. God representing God as man, to man and man representing man to God. Can you handle one more? Let me give you one more implication. If Jesus is both fully man and fully God, then that, that means that when God wants to rescue and redeem his creation, he doesn't just send a human ambassador like a prophet or a king like in the Old Testament, a judge, something like that. When, when God rescues and redeems his creation, he comes down himself. That's what the incarnation is all about. 
God becoming flesh. And folks, that is a very different message than any other world religion because every other world religion is about how man gets to God. Christianity is about how God came to man in the man Jesus Christ. Christianity is about how God reaches you. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Amen? So he is equal with God. That's the first big claim. But even though he's equal with God, the text tells us that Jesus didn't use that that position of deity to his own advantage. Did you notice that Uh, right there in verse 6? He didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, you know, we all know corrupt politicians. We've heard of corrupt politicians that use their, their status and their position to accumulate power and wealth and privilege to themselves. That's not the way Jesus is. Jesus even though he is equal with God, he doesn't use his position to exploit us or to be taken advantage of. Instead, what he does here, and here's a second major claim the Bible makes about him here in this passage, is that he emptied himself. Notice that right there in verse 7. Even though he's equal with God, he emptied himself. Now, what does that mean exactly for Jesus to empty himself? Well, some denominations, some religions out there, cults actually will tell you that that means that that he's no longer God, that he laid aside his godness, his deity. But that's not at all what this passage is saying. It doesn't mean that Jesus laid aside his divine essence or his divine nature, but instead that he laid aside his divine privileges, his divine rights. And the text actually tells us this because Paul is going to use three statements to explain what it means for Jesus to empty himself. In verse 7, he says he empties himself. How so? Number one, by assuming the form of a servant. Number two, by taking on the likeness of humanity. And by number three, when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. So Paul is telling us what it means for Jesus to have emptied himself. He says it's not that Jesus became any less God when he took on flesh. That's not what that means at all. He took on our humanity without losing his divinity. He didn't lose something of himself. He just added to himself our humanity. But but the text tells us that he empties himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's a wonderful way to think about Jesus, right? In In Jesus, you have someone who is no less than majestic God himself, but he does not come as a pompous master, but a humble servant. If you look at Jesus, you find him doing things like washing the feet of his disciples. The towel and the basin are his tools. He takes on the form of a servant. That's what it means for him to have emptied himself. And then he takes on the likeness of humanity. That's what the text tells us here. He, he robes himself in flesh, right? We sing at Christmas time, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus puts on human flesh. You say, well, why does that really matter? Well, he humbles himself. He empties himself by putting on humanity. What, what that means is that he experiences everything that we experience as humans, Think about that for a moment. Every temptation, every hurt, every sadness that humans experience, Jesus understands experientially because he took on flesh. He took on the likeness of man. If you you think that God is distant and doesn't understand what you're walking through, make no mistake, 
he understands what you're going through. If you're grieving this holiday season, if you're lonely this holiday season, God understands because Jesus took on flesh and experienced what it was like to be human. Hebrews chapter, te- chapter 2 tells us that he is a faithful high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way we have been yet without sin. And so we see Jesus born in a borrowed manger, dependent on parents. We see him embracing the limitations of life on earth. We, we see him sweat and bleed and get tired and hungry. We see him backstabbed and betrayed and abandoned by his friends because he fully embraces our humanity. That's what it means for Jesus to have emptied himself. It means he takes on the weakness of our humanity and walks a mile in our shoes so that you can have a God who actually understands your pain and can sympathize with you. But then the text also tells us that part of him emptying himself is that he, he became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. As a servant, he obeys his father, submits to his father's will, and empties himself by dying on the cross. And notice Paul emphasizes here the type of death he experiences, even death on a cross, Paul says. Jesus was so humble. He emptied himself so much that he was willing to die the worst kind of death, death on a cross. That's the kind of death that is reserved for criminals. It's reserved for traitors. It's a death that's not just meant to kill, but to shame. And this reminds us of why we celebrate Christmas, because we're not just celebrating a baby born in a cradle. We're celebrating a Savior who would die on a cross. And the reason that He died on the cross was for you and for me. Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for Himself. He died on the cross because we needed him to do that. We needed him to die the death that we deserve to die so that we could become sons and daughters of God. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this. C.S. Lewis says, the son of God became man so that men could become sons of God. What this tells us is that the purpose of the cross, the purpose of Jesus emptying himself is simply this. He became a servant so that we could become sons. He took death so that we could have life. He went to the cross so that our sin debt could be canceled. He rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Folks, he became empty so that you and I could become full. Amen? So he's equal with God and yet he empties himself. But there's one final claim that this text makes about who Jesus is. The text tells us that he is, he is because of his work, because of who he is, because of what he's done, he is exalted above all. That's what Paul says right here in the text. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Just look at the progression. Jesus, who is God himself, who empties himself and becomes a servant and takes on our humanity and is obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. He who was high became low, but because of his work, the one who was made low has now been exalted on high. Paul says that God has highly exalted him in verse 9 and gave him a name that is above every other name. 
because of the work of Jesus for us, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, God has magnified him. God the Father magnifying God the Son to the place of highest honor. That means that because of Jesus' redemptive work, he is raised up, he is lifted up to the place of highest honor by God the Father. That's what it means for him to be exalted. Folks, that's what we are here to do, to exalt the name of Jesus, to recognize that he is in the highest place, the place of highest honor. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. The father looks at the work of the son and says, because of this self-sacrifice, this one who is equal with God and yet empties himself, he deserves to be raised up to the place of highest honor and given a name that exceeds the honor of every other name. The name that is above every other name. Think about the, the names that we have throughout history that are great names, right? People who did great things. Alexander the Great and Napoleon. Think about uh, the, in the first century, Caesar, right? Whose name would be elevated be above, above any other name. Paul says Jesus has a higher name than that. His name and his fame is above all. And I love the way that J.I. Packer puts it, his his name carries his claim. Amen? Jesus' name carries Jesus' claim. And so look at, look at verses 10 and 11. Paul gives a purpose for this, the purpose of Jesus' exaltation. He says, God has lifted him up, given him a name that's exalted above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's submission. And then confession, verse 11. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. And that will bring the Father glory. Paul says that the reason that he has an exalted status, the reason that God has given him a name that is above every name, is so that every knee will bow. Notice he says, in heaven on earth and under the earth. No one is excluded from this. Every knee in heaven, that means in the angelic realm, they sing his praise. In the angelic realm, they recognize his greatness. Every knee on earth, that means every knee, even the knees that right now refuse to bow, one day will bow at the name of Jesus. Every Rebel tongue will confess the lordship of Jesus. The tongues that refuse to confess that in this life one day will confess he is who he says he is. And notice Paul says not just in heaven and earth, but he says under the earth. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's just simply re referencing here the demonic realm. Think about that. Even demons will bow the knee at the name of Jesus. Amen? And every tongue will agree. That's what it means to confess. It means to agree that Jesus is who he claimed to be, Lord of all. No president, pope, potentate, or king is Lord, but Jesus is Lord of all. So who is Jesus to you? That's the most important question you can ask 
or answer. The Bible's answer is clear. He's one who, though equal with God, emptied himself. We see that reflected most clearly in the cross. And because of this, God has exalted him above every name. His throne is above every throne. He is the one to worship this season. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Amen? And Paul says all of this to the glory of God the Father. I'm reminded of Habakkuk 2 that says the glory of God is going to fill the earth like the water covers the sea. Jesus is that exalted so that the ends of the earth will know his name, his fame, his claim. Every nation, tribe, and tongue bowing before